we just pause for a moment. I was just pondering on the way back up. Just pause for a moment and reflect on just how good God has been to you in your life. Just pause and think about that. You're here today because at some point, whether it was years ago or whether it was hours ago, God drew you to him, led you on this journey of faith. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Have you ever done something so embarrassing that you looked around hoping that no one saw you? Usually it's a fall, isn't it? <laughs> uh, a few years ago, I purchased a little fun toy that, uh, that Grayson has now kind of adopted, but it's called a one-wheel. Uh, if you don't know what it is, it's kind of like an electric skateboard, if you will, but it has one big fat wheel in the middle of it. And so it's really tricky to, to learn, but once you got it down, it's pretty easy. It's amazing the computer technology in it that it balances you and everything. And it kind of feels like you're uh, snowboarding a bit. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, it's surfing could be another kind of feel to it or wakeboarding. And so I, it was pretty new to me and I was getting very, very confident on this thing. And so I took it up. It was a really great sunny afternoon. I took it up on, uh, on the rims up around Swords Park, and I'm, and I'm cruising, man. I'm just, I'm booking by people. People are looking at me, and I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty cool. Like, am I, I'm, in the, I'm in my late 30s. I got to just do what I can, right? And so while I was, you know, while I was doing that, I mean, I was just kind of cruising all this stuff, and people were passing me and, you know, giving me thumbs up, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, hey, hey. And I and took a turn. There's a there's a turn that goes uphill, kind of where you'd go up where those uh, where the flags are and things like that. And I took that that turn up there, <clears throat> and I was going uphill, and the tongue of this thing caught, and just catapulted me off of the thing. I soar through the air, and I you know I do kind of a tuck and roll thing, and I have a helmet on, but I do it you know kind of this this. I mean you don't want to just go flat into it, so I do one of these things, and I get road rash all over the side of me. I think I still have scars from that. But nothing scarred more than my ego right then and there. And I, I remember I did this tuck and roll and popped back up and I did one of these, you know. You look around and, and no one was around. And I thought, whew, now I can cry. <laughs> and so I, you know, I'm quite a ways from the car and so like now I'm just, I'm shaky. I'm just trembling. I'm scared to death of this thing. This death trap, what did I get? And so I get back on and I'm, and I'm just slowly just doing one of these and I'm just shaking, passing the people that I already passed and they're like waving to me. I'm like, don't look at me. <laughs> there's probably blood just all over my shirt and I get in the car and I call Michelle and I go, honey, get the bandages ready. It's, it was a bad day. I imagine that we've all been there. This wasn't the first time that I've taken a spill in my life, and it won't be the last. Nothing's more fun than falling on a patch of ice, right, and looking around to see if anybody's paying attention. But what about on the flip side? Have you ever done something good and looked around hoping that someone saw you? 
There may have been some cool trick that you pulled off or something, you know, like you almost fell on something, but you miraculously saved yourself from slipping and sliding on the ice and you get done and you kind of, you want someone to notice. I may have shared this before, but at pastor's meetings in my old conference, it was considered a treat for them to take us to the GC. And not the general conference of Seventh-day Adventists. I'm talking about Golden Corral. No, Ralph, no. It was a good day when the GC closed here in Billings. And, but here's the thing, is as you passed by other pastors, it was full-on judge mode. Like you looked at their plate, and you wanted to see what was on that plate. Because the, 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 you st- here's the thing, is you started to realize that I know and you know you don't eat that healthy at Golden Corral. But when you're with a bunch of pastors, all of a sudden your salad plates mound real tall. And the, the less fried foods and the more veggies get on there. And so you walk by and you look and you judge. And the newbies, the new guys that come on and they just get whatever, you look at them and, <laughs> yeah. As, as, as you know that the conference administration was going to walk by and they were going to look at everybody's plate to see what they had on it. And so the healthier you looked, the better you looked. And you kind of held it proud. You know, it was one of those things that, that you learned that if you had, you know, if you put the fried okra on there and some of the other stuff, you kind of held your plate low. And you're walking by and you're like, hey. And you kind of walk. But if you had a healthy salad, it's almost like you're a waiter all of a sudden. You're carrying it through and you go, look at my good choices that I've made. Let's see what Jesus has to say about all this, shall we? Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our Sermon on the Mount. Now, to recap briefly, we've talked about a lot of different things already this year. And in in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to, uh, I guess, transition from the... I don't know, some of the major uh, themes that we find in righteousness. When he talks about that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, they believe their righteousness came from obeying the law. So what Jesus did is he said he took the law and he took what the spirit or the, the letter of the law was and explained what the spirit of the law was. And so we've talked about, uh, so Do not murder, Jesus says, but if you're angry, angry with your brother. He says, do not commit adultery, but he said, if you had lust in your heart, right? He goes on to talk about uh, being faithful in your your marriage and not not filing for divorce, especially for frivolous reasons that they were doing. Talked about oaths and, and making sure that you're true to your word and being honest in everything that you do. And then the idea of not retaliating against people that hurt you, wanting to get even with them. And then finally, we, we hit the, the, the peak of it of loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. All of these things that we've talked about, I know because I've talked with you, you've talked with me about them, that some of these things have really changed your life. You're, you're, you're starting to experience the Holy Spirit and the gospel transform you from the inside out. 
And I would imagine that as, as people were listening to the words of Jesus and he's, getting, he's dealing with all of these heart issues, he now focuses and changes his focus now to the part where it could be very easy to deceive other people. And that is in regards to how you worship. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 is a warning that Jesus gives. So far, he's done kind of this antithesis where he's gone through, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you, now there's a beware. Father in heaven, as we open up your word here, as we see the words from, from you, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to let you seek it and evaluate our, our hearts and our motives. I pray, Lord, that your word would speak so loud that our own thoughts and feelings would be drowned out. I pray that you would speak through me and anoint my lips and my mind that the words that I speak would be from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people <clears throat> in order to be seen by them. I thought that Jesus told us that we are supposed to shine bright <laughs> and that people are supposed to see our good works. What happened? If you jump back just one chapter to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here we have, now beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Well, what's the difference? Is there a difference? Yes, there's a difference. Because in this first one, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 16, Jesus is talking about an entirely new character, a new way of living, a new way of life, right? And ultimately, when we see, let your light shine, understanding that Jesus is that light, and Jesus is the light of the world, when you're letting him shine, and you're not blocking his light, we allow him to shine bright, and so others can see it. And what's the whole purpose? Not so they see us. Remember, we looked at that. But that they can see Jesus. They can see where they are. They see where they're going. And so that they can see the path in which they need to walk in which Jesus is leading them. That's the beauty of, of letting the light shine. The way that, that Jesus paints it here, however, is that this is a deliberate search for public recognition. So while 516 points to disciples who focus on the teachings of Jesus and loving others, you become a beacon of light that way whether you are looking for it or not. It's just what you become. As you follow Jesus, you become light. It, it flows, it shines, it's bright. And in the result, people glorify God, not you and not me. See, the reality is, is that people wanted people to notice them, to affirm them, and to think that they were good. 
and nothing has changed. Whether we want to admit it or not, we enjoy it when people notice the good things that we do. There is something innate inside of us that looks for that. It's, I don't, I don't know. I mean, even uh, in, the, in the latest, I'd say latest, it's been around for a while, but, but there's a book that's uh, the, the Five Love Languages. When you start talking about how you receive and give love in relationships, friendships, marriages, things like that, one of them is words of affirmation. The idea that you feel loved when you receive words of affirmation. The, the, the problem when we take that too far, it means that I don't feel love when I don't have words of affirmation. And the, that's a problem because sometimes we're not going to get it. And, and you may think to yourself, well, then I'm not loved by them or they're not, they're not fulfilling my needs or whatever the case is. But imagine if you're not with someone and you're by yourself and words of affirmation is your love language, then you, if you don't get that from other people, you are looking for your worth in that and so then you find yourself to be worthless. And so then you try even harder and harder and harder. My generation... I'm like on this brink of millennial generation. I'm not really sure. I'm not, I don't know if I buy into all of it. <laughs> but in my generation, words of affirmation have got to be one of the strongest things that we look for. I don't know why, but millennials love to have that, that affirmation. I'd be lying to you if I told you that I don't care. Because I do care. It's, it's in my nature to care. I don't know why I care so much. I wish I didn't care so much. But I, I like it when people like me. I don't like it when people don't like me. I'll be real with you. But I can't find my worth that Christ has in me in other people's approval or disapproval. Does that make sense? So while I may have the desire for people to like me, I don't need it in order that, that I would just fall apart without it. God is the source of that. And hopefully it is for you too, but sometimes, I will tell you, and this is what Jesus is warning against way back then, like he knew what we were going to be dealing with today. He's warning against this idea that I could end up searching so much for other people's approval that I care more about that than what God thinks about it. You think I'm the only generation, you go, oh, you millennials. Yeah, you believe that? Millennials are 40 now. <laughs> you know, you're going to start blaming the younger guys. And you know what? Just side note, I've started to do that. I feel really bad about it. But as, as, as new pastors hit the scene, right, and they're doing all this dumb stuff that I used to do, I'm like, come on, guys, grow up. <laughs> but here I was. I was right there with them. But here, anyways, I, I do, have you ever done this? Maybe you heard this. You invite someone over. What's the first thing that you say out of your mouth? Oh, pardon the mess. It's been a little messy as they walk in. And it's like the cleanest the house has been in three months. But you're like, pardon the mess. You know why? Because you care what other people think when they walk in your home. Do you not? What about when your kids are misbehaving in the grocery store or at church? And you're, you feel the judgment on you from all the other moms in the room. And you get this mom guilt on you. And you think to yourself, oh man, what are people going to think about my parenting? 
Or maybe, maybe my mom would never do this, but what would, what would they think about that? <laughs> That's what she would always say. What would, what would they think about that? What would they think about what you're wearing right now? <laughs> I don't care what generation you are. At some level, you care what other people think. We all care. And while those may be the very superficial things, whether it's about if your home is clean or your lawn is immaculate or not, or whether your kids are behaving or misbehaving or whatever the case is, there's a danger when it comes to our spiritual life. Because we can put on a front to make everybody believe that we have our life together and on the inside we are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. So Jesus talks about three areas of worship that back then were considered the pillars of righteousness and really I would say they still are. You have giving, praying, and fasting. You talk about the spiritual life. These three things come up over and over and over. And, and, and whether it's, it's the, the, the giving as in money or your time or your effort or your energy, whether it's praying, whether it's praying uh, in, in front of people or if it's praying in, in your homes or whatever, or whether it's fasting and whether that's just basically could be any type of self-discipline. Yes, there's fasting from food and there's an appropriate time and place to do that, but there's also fasting from entertainment, from media. There's fasting from, you name it, there's all types of different things that you can fast from, but ultimately we're dealing with a self-discipline area of our life. And so you're dealing with giving, praying, and fasting. And so the first one that Jesus deals with is the giving. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Hypocrites were actors. They were, they, they, one of the things that they uh, were really good at was pretending to be other people. Uh, literally, this is what they did. They would take masks, multiple masks, and they would layer them up on their, on their face. And so part of their, their theater, part of their show, was that they would reveal a new character throughout the show. So while they're uh, you know, doing their theater or whatever, they would have one mask on and then they could turn and they would take the mask off and they'd be somebody else and they would pretend to be somebody else. And as they go through their little show, they would eventually come down to the final and last mask. And so the idea of being a hypocrite, we use that term different today than the way they used it. I mean, it was literally someone who was an entertainer, someone who was in theater, someone who put on a show. And so for Jesus, for him to use this in this terminology makes a little bit more sense of what he's saying because he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. Then he turns around and says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue. Now here's what's interesting is there's no entertainers. There's no theater. 
in the synagogues. Who is in the synagogues? Those who are worshiping, those who have come before God. And who primarily do you think Jesus is poking a bit? The scribes and the Pharisees. Remember, he's already said at the, in, in chapter 5, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. And now he's talking about the religious duties that were therein. And so we have this scribes and Pharisees that were making such a big deal about giving, especially giving to the needy, giving to the poor. They called it almsgiving. So this was something that they made, uh, I, I don't know, a show. There's no actual record of people blowing out a horn or a trumpet before they gave to somebody, all right? That would be a little weird. Now, there are different things that people would come to the temple and they had these big vats uh, of pottery and things like that that they would put their offering in, and so they would have a lot of coins, and they would make a lot of noise. And the more noise that you made by giving to the temple, people would hear that and, and things like that. But in this case, giving to the poor, I guess if they had a little uh, you know, copper cup or metal cup or whatever, and they were putting coins in there, people could hear that. But they're not going around going, and then you know, giving somebody something. So this probably wasn't a literal blowing of the trumpet, but you and I are probably familiar with the term tooting your own horn that could very well be what Jesus was referring to. We don't really know for sure, but it makes sense. I would, I would think that uh, in today's world, we could look at it as like taking a selfie while feeding the homeless. That would be kind of the same thing, right? Like, here, here's a burger. Hold on, click. And, and he, you know, here's the thing is, is I've been guilty of that. I, one, one uh, not the hamburger thing, but um, there was, we, we would go out every, every Christmas day. It was a tradition that we would go out. And, and there was a lady in our church that made uh, uh, knitted hats and scarves. And... She, she just, she said desperate, she said, I would love to have a picture of people that you give them to. And I felt so awkward about it. But I would get to know them, and I would, you know, we would talk, and I'd get to, you know, we'd hear their story and things like that. And then I would ask them, I said, hey, the lady that made this hat, uh, she wanted to see who it went to. Would you mind if I took a picture uh, with you in the hat? Because it looks great on you. And so they, they gave me permission to do so. But I, 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 that's when I read this, that's how I feel, like I'm blowing this trumpet or whatever. And I sent her the picture, right? And, and now I'm like, man, I just wish I had never done that. But, but it, that's kind of what it, it looks like. And you know what? Even in, in, in churches, and some of you may remember some of these things. I've yet to see it in, in, in practice in my life. But hey, anything's possible. But when churches would do evangelism and they would do funding for evangelism or if they would do a building project, they would, uh, they would bring everybody in the room and they would have this big thing of, of their goal, like a big goal chart, right? And they would, they would almost lock everybody in the room until the pledges were put in and the goals were met. And so they would wait and people would, you know, say, well, I'll donate this and you know of course the higher amounts always got a ooze and an oz or an applause or whatever different you know things like that i also remember some i think it was uh i think it was michelle's dad 
told me a story that one time that they that the deacons got on either side and they had this strip of tape and they went through down the aisle and people would put their money on the tape so people could see how much you were giving all the way down. Are you thinking about it? We look at it and we're like, what in the world? But that's exactly, and, and here's the thing, is probably wasn't too different back then. As they would, they, maybe they would do big, uh, big open air meetings to help the poor, they were looking for pledges. And there were people that were, were calling out their pledge to help the poor. And you know what would end up happening is people would pledge too much. Because they were, so, they were wanting approval from so many people that they would pledge an amount that they would never be able to pay. And so they were, they were putting on a show, a theatrical performance. You know, when you're looking for the approval of others and you've got it, you've received your reward, Jesus says. See, when he, when he says that you're not going to get the reward from your Father in heaven, it's because you care more about what you're getting from someone else than you're getting from him. And in this case, when you're looking for, your, when you're looking for people to ooh and awe or receive you or make it, you, know, look, you look better than you actually are, and you get someone to affirm that, you got your reward. You got your affirmation. Good job. And Jesus says, you, you know, they've got their reward. And he says this three times in the different categories of this, that when you're looking at those things. So he says, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the, in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So what do we do? Keep reading. Jesus gives instructions to his disciples. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, it becomes uh, your, your generosity in, in whatever the case is. This could be money, this could be time, this could be energy, effort, influence, whatever it is that you're giving. When you're giving, you're not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. There was, a, there was an old uh, Jewish way of, of talking about that could be like in reference of your good friends. Like even your closest friend, you wouldn't even tell them what you're doing. But I think it goes beyond that. I think it goes further than that. I think it's the idea that I'm going to do something without even allowing myself care enough of what other people would think. In other words, I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm just going to do what God has called me to do. And I, I'm not going to try to, in my own head, look around to see if anyone's watching. I don't need to bring this up in passing conversation. I don't have to, you know, later on give a sermon illustration of how I helped so-and-so or how I did this. I mean, that's the reality is, is we're just letting all of that ego go and just allowing God to lead. Simple. But it's not that simple. <laughs> because we're creatures that are looking for someone to affirm. 
probably one of my favorite things that I've, I've ever seen, and by favorite, that's sarcasm. But one of my favorite things that, I, that I've seen is when I'm on the platform, you know, there's a you know, bunch of chairs or pews or whatever, and there's platform, and I'm sitting with other pastors or leaders or whatever. And you know when they collect the offering and how the deacon comes up, and the deacon usually will come up on the stage and do it, uh, and, and he comes by and he goes by everybody? My favorite thing is to see somebody do this. And they put their hand in the offering thing, and they let go of nothing. They've been duping you all these years. They wanted you to think that they were giving. But on the other side, I've seen the other side where I'm watching. And they literally pulled nothing out of their pocket. And they put nothing in the plate. Why do they do it? Because they want people to think that they are generous, that they are giving. I don't know. I mean, the reality is, is we live in a totally different world today. I mean, people give online. People give... They, you know, they, they give during the week, whatever the case is. They may mail it in. I don't care. Just don't fake it. Why would you fake it? Why would you go through that hassle? I mean, I know it may look bad that when the offering comes by and I'm sitting there like this, but you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know whether I've given or not, but I don't need to fake it. My other favorite one is when they take a tithe envelope and it's empty and they just drop it in. Because they just want to be sure. And here's the thing, is I believe there is no other reason for that than to get the affirmation or acceptance from other people. That there is no other reason. You're not tricking the deacon. <laughs> I mean, he's right there. But it doesn't stop with money. People want others to think that they are very spiritual. And so they become extremely knowledgeable in Scripture. And the Scripture doesn't change their heart at all. But they know it. They know what it says. People want to be known as the friendliest face, only to gossip about you behind your back. People want others to recognize them as spiritual leaders. So they talk about all the things that they do, all the spiritual disciplines. Well, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't eat that anymore. I don't, I don't. I'll tell you what I do. I do, I do. Why? What, what good does it do to build yourself up so that others will do what? They'll go, wow, that's great. Jesus says, if you're looking for affirmation from people, you'll get it, and that's it. That will be your reward. But I will tell you that reward is so unsatisfying because you know and I know that the people that put on the biggest show have a deep, dark world going on behind the curtain. I think that's why Jesus is, is warning us about it I think it's something that he's saying look it's easy it's easy to fool people into making them think that you're good it's much much harder to actually be good <laughs> and it's only by God's grace that you can be and that's why I think he started with the heart stuff 
Because if the heart is truly transformed, when you're loving people, you're praying for your enemies, you're praying for those who persecute you, you are, you're, you're honest in everything that you do, whether it's good or bad, all the things that Jesus has called us to do and to be in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, when that happens, this next part is natural. That you wouldn't be seeking the affirmation of people because you know where your worth comes from. Maybe the problem isn't that people are trying to be deceptive. I, I, you know, and not everyone who toots their own horn is really trying to deceive people. But maybe the problem is that people are deceiving themselves. They have believed a lie that they must find their worth and what others think about them. I think that's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. That your worth comes from others' approval. But you and I have studied already, and I'll remind you again, that your worth comes from your Heavenly Father. I saw somebody the other day that was, that was uh, it was some social media that someone was just, just bent. They were so mad. They were so upset because of pastors who were telling their congregations that you are a child of God. And they're like, you're not, you're all these people deceiving all these people, telling them that you're a child of God. You're not a child of God until you make him your father. And I sat there and I go, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Because even the prodigal son who ran away that didn't want a father was still a child. And you and me, we are children of God because we are created by him. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. Whether we accept it or not, you are still his. He still loves you. Now there's consequences. We know all of that. But his love for you doesn't change. You are still his child. So by thinking that you're going to get affirmation from someone else and that is going to then satisfy your desire, making people think that you're, you're good or you're religious or you're spiritual or whatever the case is, I believe that we are believing a lie that the enemy has put into our hearts and into our minds to think that I need someone else's approval when the only approval that we need is God. And while some even in those days, would only give to the needy because they're looking for the approval from God. That motive is not pure either. Take people out of the equation for a moment. If all we are doing is trying to get the approval from God and so everything we're doing is really an ulterior motive, that we're not really doing good things because that's the right thing to do, but we're doing them because we're hoping to receive God's favor. We're hoping to receive God's affirmation. We're hoping to receive something from God, that reward that it talks about in Scripture. I got to get that reward, and that's why I'm going to do all these things. Even that motive is not pure. Because the true reward is probably not what you think it is. 
don't know about you, but I thought that when I got to heaven and he talks about, you know, Jesus comes and brings his reward with him and, and things like that, like I think, like in our human nature, even as a kid, like you wonder, like what's it going to be, right? <laughs> what is he going to bring me? Like he's some type of Santa Claus or something. Like he's got this big bag and he's bringing gifts and he's like, hey, here's a crown. And you look, you got an extra jewel on your crown for helping little old miss. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> what is the reward? See, I think that, I think that we get confused that the reward is going to be some external like piece of gold or trophy or good job sticker or something like that. I mean, Jesus gives us salvation. He's already given us that. And we are in Christ. We are saved and covered. But you know what his reward is? Him continuing to inhabit your heart and your life, transforming you day by day. That because when I do give to help someone or a cause or something like that, I'm not doing it for recognition from others. I'm not doing it so God will bless me or give me something. I'm doing it because Jesus was already in my heart and put it on my heart to give and to help. And he's going to continue to put it on my heart to give and to help beyond that. And that's the reward that Jesus continues to move and continues to shape and continues to transform, continues to speak, continues to live because Jesus continues to transform us from the inside out every single day. That's a good enough reward for me. I'm okay with that. I mean, if he wants to give me a trophy, that's cool. I'll put it up on my mantle or whatever someday, right? (laughs) But I don't think that's what it is. I think that I really think that it's a, a continuing transformation in my life and in yours. My friends, as we wrestle with these three things, giving, praying, and fasting, I have a feeling that our hearts are going to be pricked quite a bit. Because in today's world, in today's way of living, We have been trained and created and formed in this culture. We've been trained to constantly seek someone else's approval, someone else's look, someone else's glance, someone else's way. Am I doing, am I on the right track? Am I doing what I want to be doing, right? We're trained to do that. And so to hear some of the things that we're going to hear in the study, these, these three areas, it's probably not going to feel great, at certain times. But let me tell you, the reward from Jesus is far greater than the reward of affirmation from someone else. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words that humble our hearts here today. Because I don't know of anyone including myself, that has not been motivated in, in action to wonder what others would think, to wonder what others would do if they would approve or if they wouldn't. And in doing that, Lord, we miss out on what it is that you are calling us to do. 
And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts and flow through us, that we would be living by the Spirit so in every situation, whether it's in giving or whether it's in praying or whether it's in fasting, that we would do so with a pure heart, with a pure motive, that we're not trying to receive attention from elsewhere, we're not trying to make you love us more or accept us, that we're just doing it because of what it is that you've done in our hearts and what you continue to do. And you being with us, loving us, guiding us, walking with us is the greatest reward that we could ever imagine. So Lord, we we need to be humbled today. Many of us have been convicted. And so we repent. That is my prayer. That we would change the way that we think that we would not be motivated by selfish ambition, looking for other people's approval, but we would be motivated by the love and the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for changing our hearts from the inside out. May we not be fake, may we not put on a show, but we can quietly in your presence, do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.